And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gumdrop lips, Welcome, everybody, to podcast number eight. Where no one's more surprised than we are that we're still going. So this is Greg. As Uncle Frank. As always, Jimmy Sweets. So what's on the show this week? Well, we've got a reading by Walter Brennan of the celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. And since it's May, it's kind of a Star Wars month, we've got our top ten Star Wars parodies for you. And what the heck, we're going to have a little expose on Cannibals in Scotland by me, Uncle Frank. Of course, we'll pack in a bunch of other stuff, too. So here we go. Wee. I'm as restless as a willow when I went starring. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. Why should I have a suffering fever when it isn't even a suffering? I'm a starry eyed and vaguely discontented. Like a nightingale without a song to sing. Ah, but why should I have a suffering fever? Or when I know it isn't a suffering. I keep wishing I were somewhere else, walking down a strange new street, hearing words that I have never heard from a girl I have yet. To me, I'm as busy as a spider spinning daydreams. I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing. I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud or a robin on the way. It could be winter, summer, autumn, almost any other thing. So it might as well be a separate
In Scotland, along the lonely and rugged Galloway coast, is what appears at a distance to be a crack in the cliffs. It is at a place called Benane Head and might go unnoticed by travelers even in broad daylight. If one was to scramble the 150 feet down to the fissure, it would be discovered that it was actually the entrance to a cave. This can only be done at low tide for at high tide the area is flooded. As you enter the cave, graffiti can be seen along its walls until the darkness closes in. After that, a torch or a flashlight is required. This cave widens after the entrance and goes deep into the side of the cliffs. In the dark, with the sound of the surf echoing throughout the cave, a feeling of dread comes over you. This is the kind of place that gathers strange stories to itself. Robert Louis Stevenson visited the village of Ballantrae in 1876, just two miles south of the cave. There was a story going around the area then, but Stevenson didn't have time to hear it. He was driven out of the town with rocks by angry villagers who found his clothing a little too eccentric. The story he missed hearing was about a spirit that was haunting that cave and the surrounding area. Even in recent times, the spirit is talked about, and the police have logged reports of drivers breaking to avoid ghostly figures. The smart money on who haunts the cave is on a man named Sonny Bean, the living man hasn't been around for nearly 400 years, and still he is remembered. He lived in this cave with his common-law wife, who some stories say was thought to be a witch and was herself driven out of Ballantrae by intolerant villagers. The same stories tell of her cursing the cave and the land for miles around, and that strange things have occurred there ever since. These are tales of the supernatural, but the most horrifying stories about Sonny Bean and his wife are about their secret. The secret of their everyday lives in that cave at Benane Head. That secret was kept for 25 years.
It was revealed one evening during an autumn fair in the early 1600s. A couple was returning home from a day's trading at that fair. They plodded along a lonely road, riding together on the same horse. All at once a gang of robbers fell upon them. Perhaps the thieves thought this couple would be easy prey, but they fought back savagely. The horse was used to shove and trample some of the attackers, and the husband used his sword to drive them back as well. The wife, however, was eventually dragged off the horse and carried away. The husband could not break through the gang to get to his wife, so he had to watch helplessly why she was beaten. Some women of the thieves came and slit his wife's throat, then slit open her belly. They began to remove her entrails like they were field-dressing a deer. Then a large group of fair-goers entered the scene. They had heard the husband's cries and had hurried on to see what was happening. The robbers, being outnumbered, escaped into the surrounding countryside. The crowd got the details from the devastated husband as he sat near what remained of his wife. The murderer's existence was finally revealed. There had been many disappearances over the 25 years that Sonny Bean had kept his secret. It began with only a few, then built over the years to hundreds. From the beginning, people had become wary and patrols were set up, but still people continued to go missing. Searches for the perpetrators were organized. None of the gang was discovered. One search party had discovered Bean's cave from afar, but considered it uninhabitable. Oh, innocent people were lynched on suspicion, of course. Strangers and several innkeepers were executed. The strangers because they were strangers, the innkeepers because some of the missing had stayed in their inns. A large number of innkeepers sold out or just abandoned their businesses for fear they might meet the same fate. Finally, roads were closed in large sections of West Galloway. It was then that the grave robbing began. The newly dead and buried were being dug up, and few of the bodies were seen again. Well, that isn't completely true. Body parts had occasionally washed up along the Galloway coast for all of the 25 years. At the time of the fair couple's attack, the roads of the area had been reopened to try to draw the gang out, and it had worked. The perpetrators had been discovered at last. The magistrates in Glasgow were told the gory tale of the attack on the couple, and the king sent soldiers with dogs to find the fiends responsible. Eventually the dogs led the search party to that sinister crack in the cliffs. The soldiers fought their way in, and outnumbered again, the cave dwellers surrendered and were taken alive. That they were taken alive surprises me, for what the soldiers found in that cave was a horror show. Throughout the dark and fetid chamber were the scattered remains of the cannibals' victims. There were various parts on wall hooks, and other parts being pickled or dried like jerky. The possessions of their victims were also strewn around the cave. Gold, silver, clothing, 
this gang had been very busy. But that was the other horrible part of the secret. These people, over forty in all, were not a group of robbers, but a cannibal family. Children and grandchildren of Sonny Bean, some the product of incest. The clan was founded when Alexander Sonny Bean met his perfect partner in crime. Alexander himself was born in East Lothian, Scotland. His father, a common laborer, a ditch digger, a hedge trimmer. Bean didn't have any liking for honest common work, so he went out on his own. Eventually he met the woman driven from Ballantrae, settled down in a nice dank cave, and went into the business of eating his neighbors. It was the only known case of laziness leading to cannibalism. The king's men brought the Bean family in chains to Edinburgh. Then they were transferred to either Leith or Glasgow. Soon after, they were all executed without trial. The men of the clan were bled to death, and the women and children were burned alive. A horrifying bit of history, and one I'd hope was unique. But there are other tales of cannibals in Scotland, and not all from the lower dregs of society. The Earl of Drumlanrig has his own story. James Douglas, who was also the Marquess of Queensbury, was born in 1697. He was the eldest son who had lived of James Douglas Sr. The younger James was dangerously mentally disturbed. Most people referred to him as an imbecile, behind his father's back, that is. James Douglas Jr. had to be kept under lock and key at the Queensbury House in Edinburgh, and there he stayed until the night of the union between Scotland and England. James Sr. was a great proponent of this union, so he and most of the household were celebrating. Later he watched the riots that were started in the streets by those who opposed Scotland playing second fiddle. During all this chaos, the younger James somehow escaped from his rooms. While he was searching for food, he ran across one of the few souls around, a kitchen boy. By the time James was found, he had already partially eaten the boy. From then on, the Marquise of Queensbury was known as the cannibalistic idiot. You can still see the oven James used to roast the boy, in the basement of the Queensbury House, which is now a private bar. Still another monster of the aristocracy, and another James for that matter, was James Barclay, the cannibal laird. He often complained about his local sheriff, kind of judge, to anyone who would listen. One momentous day he was complaining to the king, who flippantly responded, Why don't you make soup out of him? James must have thought that was a great idea, because that's what he did. The sheriff was invited by Barclay and several other lords that also hated him to join them in a hunt. The poor man soon found out that he was the hunted. After killing and having him made into soup, the hunting party each drank from the broth. This last example is actually more in line with the majority of cannibal cases. Cannibalism is a funny thing, not hilarious, but a little funny. 
There are the insane cannibals like Douglas and our own Ed Gein. But the majority of cases where humans eat humans on a regular basis are ritualistic. A small portion of the killed is consumed to gain his strength or to show mastery over the fallen enemy. These are habitual cannibals. Serial cannibals are a different story. Everyone knows about the Donner Party or the Andes plane crash or at least the Monty Python sketch. People will often eat dead people in a pinch, especially in times of famine. Most aren't proud of it, but that doesn't stop them. Our last example of Scottish cannibalism comes from the latter group. Starting in the late 1200s, the glory of the high Middle Ages began to choke on itself. Political and economic changes, as well as a dangerous population gain, had brought Europe, especially Northern Europe, to the brink. Then the weather changed. It is what some call the Mini Ice Age. The Atlantic ice pack had been growing since the 1250s, and the summers had become unreliable by 1300. In 1316 and 1317, rains ruined the summer crops, and the winters were especially harsh. This began the first great famine. The famine led to many terrible acts, infanticide, robbery, murder, and yes, cannibalism. Famines of lesser severity popped up throughout the 13 and 1400s. These were more localized. And all of this has led us to another Scotsman, a Perth butcher living through one of these smaller famines. Small to others, maybe, but to him it was devastating. His name was Andrew Christie, and he struggled for his life sometime around 1340. Christie joined a group who were living off wild game in the foothills of the Grampons Mountains. Eventually the animals became scarce, and the group began to starve again. One of the members, a woman, died one day, and it was eventually decided to eat her. The meal was a sort of revelation to the group. With renewed strength, they all searched out other corpses, but then this proved harder than expected, and hunger crept back. They moved on to harsher measures. Christie seems to have become the leader in this new endeavor, Travelers were now ambushed in the passes of the Grampians. The group was practical. If there was a choice between a man on foot and one on horseback, the rider was the one chosen. This way they ate the man and the horse. Christie developed a nickname during this time. Because he used a hook on a pole, a cleek, to pull his victims from their horses, he began to be called Christie Cleek. Christie's gang supposedly killed 30 people before they were all captured or killed. Christie himself, some say, escaped capture and changed his identity, dying many years later after marrying and becoming a merchant in Dumfries. Most of the horrors we've talked about today became popularly known only many years after the event supposedly took place. In some cases, no records have been found yet from the actual time of the murders. So were some of these stories compilations of acts by several people or exaggerations of less spectacular crimes? Even fabrications? The romantic in me says no. And if you ever travel to Scotland, 
and enter that dreadful crack in the cliffs on the Galloway coast, standing in darkness with the sea echoing around you, you will agree with me. We've got two cannibal songs for you right now. One, an old favorite, Timothy, written by Rupert Holmes. You know, the man who did If You Like Pina Coladas. It was performed by the boys in 1971 and is about a mining accident and a missing man. Then we have one just introduced to me by my friend Jared. It's The Feast of the Mau Mau by Screaming Jay Hawkins. <laughs> Down to a pound, get a spoon. Scoop 
drive from a fly flying backwards. Take the jaws and the paws off a coon. Take your time, I ain't lying for good cooking. Cause the rest of this mess ain't good looking. Take the fleas from the knees of a demon. Tell your pals, the gals will come screaming. To the feast, put the beast of the bow wow. They make wine from the spine and they build down. It's a test for the best for who stays. At the feast, put the beast of the mouth house. Brush your teeth with a piece of a goose toenail. After death, steal the breath of a drunken jail. Pull a stand off your friend with a razor blade. In tonight, change the mind, bring back yesterday. Shake your hip, bite your lip, and shoot your mother-in-law. Put on your gorilla suit, drink some elbow soup, and have a ball. Get it straight, don't be late, it's time for mad fun. Feast of the Mile Mouse has begun. Ow! saga of a man who was not forgotten by his fellow morons. Bang the mo slowly. Nurse? That, that feels great. Could you do the other toe now? Oh, sure. Thanks. Excuse me. Excuse me, nurse. Huh? I'm here to see Mo Howard. I'm Larry Fine. I used to be one of the stooges. Larry, meathead. Oh, I'm here to visit you, to cheer you up. Uh -huh. If you ask me, what he needs is a swift kick in the procrastinator. I don't want no cheering up. Scram, beat it, ham scrape. I'm going to go look at him. No, no, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I got a fremus in my pajamas. I got ectophobia and aerobia. I got sleazy feet. Mo, there you are, uh -huh. under the covers. Uh -huh. I brought you flowers. Uh -huh. Cauliflowers. Uh -huh. <laughs> get that dog out of the bed, Larry. Will you get out of here? Oh, Mo, what's wrong? Uh -huh. Here's my two beady eyes. Have a free shot. 
Nah. Oh, here's my big red bulby nose, just <laughs> waiting for a yank. Nah. Just stick your fingers up and I'll fall on them. Oh, that hurts my fingers, Larry. Will you beat it? Come on, stand up so you can <laughs> fall down. <laughs> oh, let go, will ya? Now look, I got a kink in my flammer shammer. Will you get out of here? Holy cow. This is more serious than I thought. It's serious. I better sound the stooge alert. Uh, hey, get away from that window. Sorry, lady. I gotta call all the third stooges. Moe's in trouble. Clapping his hand over his own boomerang and twisting his nose in a counterclockwise direction, Larry produced the stooge alert. And from all over the country, they came. Curly Shemp, Curly Joe, Shemp Joe, Curly Shemp, Shemp Shemp, Joe Shemp, Curly Curly, all answering the stooge alert. All of you men have to leave. Mr. Howard is a very sick man. Pipe down. My head hurts. Mo, you're crying. Huh? I am? Yeah, you're crying. You better take a closer look to make sure, lame brain. All of you, crowd in. Tink fast. Come back here, you guys. Oh, if I ever get my hands on you, I... And that's how it happened the day they all chipped in to help one shriveled man with a funny haircut out of a slump that just might have cost him his life. Ah, shut up, lame brain. Tink fast. Come back here, you
events in the lusty month of May. To name a few, the Brooksworth Cheese Roll at Cooper's Hill, Mule Days in Bishop, the Tetbury Wool Sack Race, and of course the Jumping Frog Contest at Angel's Camp. Uncle Frank has actually competed in the last event and he was handily beaten by just about everyone there. His frog didn't actually even jump, he just lazily moved forward about an inch. The jumping contest was first held in 1928 to celebrate the paving of Angel's Camp and has been repeated every year since except in 1933. It was and is modeled after the competition in Mark Twain's story. The first version of Twain's story was published in the Saturday Evening Post in 1865, but the yarn that inspired it was heard by the writer one cold winter's day in 1864 at the bar of the Angels Camp Hotel. Twain had been going to that bar quite often. There was little else to do. He was holed up that winter in a cabin at Jackass Canyon because he was no longer welcome in San Francisco. Seems Twain had angered the police chief by writing an expose on him. That exile was a lucky one for Twain though. The story he created from the barroom tale would pave the way for his future fame. Today we have Walter Brennan reading that story, the great actor who seemed to have always been old. He won three Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor and also recorded much great audio, like our selection today, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. Well, there was a fellow here once by the name of Jim Smiley in the winter of 49. Or maybe it was the spring of 50. Don't recollect exactly. Somehow, though, what makes me think it was one or the other is because I remember the big flume one finished when he first come to the camp. But anyways, he was the curiousest man about all us betting on anything that turned up. You ever see? If he could get anybody to bet on the other side, and if he couldn't, he'd change sides. Anyway, what suited the other man would suit him. Well, anyway, just so as he got a bet, he was satisfied. But still he was lucky, uncommon lucky. He's most always come out winner. He was always ready and laying for chance. There couldn't be no solitary thing mentioned, but that fellow offered to bet on it and take every side you please, as I was just telling you. Now, if there was a horse race, you'd find him flush or you'd find him busted at the end of it. If there was a dog fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a cat fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a chicken fight, he'd bet on it. Why, if there was two birds sitting on a fence, he'd bet you which one would fly first. If there was a camp meeting, well, he'd be there regular to bet on Parson Walker, which he judged to be the best exhorter about here, and so he was too, and a good man. 
If he even see a straddle bug start to go anywhere, he'd bet you how long it would take him to go to wherever he was going to. And if you took him up, he'd follow that straddle bug to Mexico. But uh, he'd find out where he was bound for and how long he was on the road. Lots of the boys here have seen that smiley and can tell you about him. Well, it never made no difference to him. He, he'd been on anything. Dangish fella. Parson Walker's wife laid very sick once for a good while. And it seems as if they weren't going to save her, but... One morning he came in and smiley up and asked how she was, and he said she was considerable better, and thanked the Lord for his infinite mercy, and coming on so smart that with the blessing of Providence she'd get well yet. And smiley before he thought says, well, I'd risk two and a half, she don't anyway. This year smiley had a mare. Boys called her the 15-minute nag, but of course that was only in fun, because of course she was faster than that. He used to win money on that horse for all she was so slow and always had the asthma or the distemper or the consumption or something of that kind. They used to give her two or three hundred yards start and then pass her on the way, but always at the fag end of the race she'd get excited and desperate-like and come a cavorting and straddling up and scattering her legs around, limber sometimes here, sometimes the other side among the fences and kicking up more dust and raising more racket with her coughing and sneezing and blowing her nose and all us fetch up at this stand, just about the neck of head, near as you could cipher down. And he had a little small bull pup that, uh, well, to look at him, you'd think he wasn't worth a cent, but to sit around and look ornery and lay for a chance to steal something. But as soon as money was up on him, he was a different dog. His underjaw began to stick out like a forecastle of a steamboat, and his teeth would uncover and shine like the furnaces. And a dog might tackle him and bully-rag him and bite him and throw him over his shoulder two or three times. And Andrew Jackson, which was the name of the pup, Andrew Jackson would never let on but what he was satisfied and hadn't expected nothing else. And a bet's being double and double on the other side all the time. Till the money was all up. Then all of a sudden he'd grab that other dog just by the giant of the hind leg and freezed it. Not sure, you understand, but just, just grip and hang on till they throwed up the sponge if it was a year. Smiley always come out winter on that pup till he harnessed a dog once that didn't have no hind legs because he'd been sawed off in a circular saw and when the thing uh, had gone long far enough and the money was all up and he come to make a snatch for his pet hold, he see in a minute how he'd been imposed on and how the other dog had him in the door, so to speak, and he peered surprised and he looked sort of discouraged like and didn't try no more to win the fight and so he got chucked out bad. He gave Smiley a look as much as to say his heart was broke and it was his fault for putting up a dog that had no hind legs for him to take hold of, which was his main dependence in the fight. Then he limped off a piece and laid down and died. It was a good pup, was that Andrew Jackson, and would have made a name for himself if he'd lived, for the stuff was in him and he had genius. I know it because he had no opportunities to speak of and it don't stand to reason that a dog could make such a fight as he could under stem circumstances if he hadn't no talent. It always makes me feel sorry when I think of that last fight of his and the way it turned out. Well, this here Smiley had rat terriers and chicken cocks and tomcats and all them kinds of things till you, till you couldn't rest. And you couldn't fetch nothing for him to bet on, but he'd match you. He catched a frog one day and he took him home and said he calculated to educate him. And so he never done nothing for three months but sit in his backyard and learn that frog to jump. And you bet you he did learn him, too. He'd give him a little punch, you know, behind, and the next minute you'd see that frog whirling in the air like a donut. See him turn one somerset and maybe a couple if he got a good start. 
and come down flat-footed and all right, you see, just like a cat. He got him up so in the matter of catching flies and kept him in practice so constant that he'd nail a fly as, well, he'd nail a fly every time as far as he could see him. Smiley said all a frog wanted was education and he could do most anything. And I believe him, too. Why, I've seen him set Daniel Webster down here on the floor, right here on this floor. Daniel Webster was, uh, well, that was the name of the frog, you see. And sing out, flies, Daniel, flies. And quick as you could wink, he'd spring straight up and snake a fly off in the counter there and flop down on the floor again as solid as a gob of mud and fall to scratching the side of his head with his hind foot as, as indifferent as if he had no idea he'd been doing anything more than any other frog might do. Well, you never see a frog so modest and straightforward as he was, for all he was so gifted. And when it come to fair and square jumping on the dead level, why, he could get over more ground at one straddle than any animal of his breed you ever see. Jumping on a dead level was his strong suit, you understand. When it come to that, Smiley would ante up money on him as long as he had a red. Smiley was monstrous proud of his frog, and well, he might be, for fellas that had traveled and been everywhere, as all said he laid over any frog that ever they see. Well, Smiley kept the beast in a little lattice box and he used to fetch him downtown sometimes and lay for a bit. One day a fella, a stranger in camp he was, he come across him with his box and says, what might it be that you got in the box? And Smiley says, sort of indifferent like, uh, might be a parrot or it might be a canary, maybe, but it ain't. It's only just a frog. And the fella took it and looked at it careful and turned it round this way and that and says, hmm, so it is. Well, what's he good for? Well, Smiley says, easy and careless. He's good enough for one thing, I should judge. He can out-jump any frog in Calaveras County. The fella took the box again and took another long particular look and give it back to Smiley and says, very deliberate. Well, he says... I don't see no pints about that frog that's any better than any other frog. Maybe you don't, Smiley says, and maybe you understand frogs, and maybe you don't understand them. Maybe you've had experience, and maybe you ain't only an amateur, as it were. Anyways, I got my opinion, and I risk $40 that he can outjump any frog in Calaveras County. And the fella studied a minute, then says kind of sad-like, well, I'm only a stranger here, and I ain't got no frog. But if I had a frog, I'd bet you. And then Smiley says, well, that's all right, that's all right. If you'll hold my box a minute, I'll go and get you a frog. So the fella took the box and he put up his $40 along with Smiley's and sat down to wait. So he sat there a good while thinking and thinking to himself and then he got the frog out and he prized his mouth open and took a teaspoon and filled him full of quail shot. Filled him pretty near up to his chin, set him on the floor. Smiley, he went to the swamp and slopped around in the mud for a long time. Finally, he catched a frog, and he fetched him in, and he gave him to this fellow and says, Now, if you're ready, set him alongside of Daniel with his forepaws, just even with Daniel's. Now I'll give the word. Then he says, One, two, three, git. And him and the fellow touched up the frogs from behind, and the new frog hopped off lively, but Daniel gave a heave and heisted up his shoulders, so, like a Frenchman. But it wasn't no use. He couldn't budge. He was planted as solid as a church, and he couldn't no more stir than if he was anchored out. Smiley was a good deal surprised, and he was disgusted too, but he didn't have no idea what the matter was, of course. 
The fellow took the money and started away, and when he was going out the door, he sort of jerked his thumb over his shoulder, so, at Daniel, and says again, very deliberate. Well, he says, I don't see no pints about that frog that's any better than any other frog. Well, Smiley, he stood scratching his head and looking down at Daniel a long time, and at last he says, I do wonder what nation that frog throwed off for. I wonder if they ain't something the matter with him. Appears to look mighty baggy somehow. And he catches Daniel by the nap of the neck and he hefted him and says, Why, well, blame my catch if he don't weigh five pounds. He turned him upside down and he belched out a double handful of shot. And then he see how it was and he was the maddest man. He set the frog down and he took out after that fella. But he never catched him. up your lips and, and rolled and curled your tinted hair. Ruby, are you contemplating going out somewhere? The shadows on the walls tell me that the sun is going down. Ruby, don't take your love to town. Started that old crazy Asian war, but I was proud to go and do my patriotic chore. And it's true, I ain't the man Ruby that I used to be. But Ruby, I still need some company. I know it's hard to love a man who's legs are bent and paralyzed. In the wants and needs of a woman your age, Ruby, I, I realize. But it won't be long, I've heard him say, till I eat around. Oh, Ruby, don't take your love to town. She's leaving now, but I just heard the slamming of a door. The way I know I've heard it slam a hundred times before. If I could move, I'd get my gun and put her in the ground. Ruby, don't take your love to town. Now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. The icy wastes of the Arctic Ocean still hold dangers for seafarers, and not a few mysteries. This story from Strange But True by David Duncan reminds us all of this. On the morning of August 12, 1775, the Greenland whale ship Herald 
was picking her way among the icebergs of the North Atlantic. Suddenly, the lookout bellowed, A ship! A ship! West ahead! On deck, the herald's captain turned in surprise. Some three miles away, he saw a mast poking above an iceberg. Slowly, a three-masted schooner drifted into view. Her sails hung in tatters. Ice coated her spars and rigging. She glistened in the sun. Captain Warren studied her through his telescope. He saw no signs of life. Veering close, he hailed the strange ship. Silence greeted his shouts. The schooner continued on her seemingly aimless way. Lower the longboat, Captain Warren ordered. I'm going to have a look. His crew were superstitious and had no mind to venture aboard a ghost ship. Nevertheless, they obeyed. Captain Warren picked eight men and rowed over. As the longboat neared the schooner's stern, the men made out her name, Octavius. She was unknown to them. Again, Captain Warren hailed her. Only rotting timbers and the wind in the loose rigging answered them, creaking and whispering. With four of his crew, the captain climbed aboard. The deck was slippery with ice and crystal snow. Seeing no one topside, the boring party went below. In the crew's quarters, they found 28 men, frozen to death. Each lay in his bunk, heavily bundled in blankets and clothing. The fierce Arctic cold had perfectly preserved their bodies. Next, the investigating crew entered the cabin of the captain, whose body was seated in a chair by a work table. In a cabin behind this one were three more corpses. A woman lay in one bunk, her head resting lifelike on her elbow. The body of a man sat cross-legged on the floor in one corner. His hands held a flint and a piece of steel. Before him was a pile of wood shavings. Death had overtaken him as he struggled to light a fire. Alongside the man was a sailor's jacket. Captain Warren lifted it. Beneath was the body of a small boy. The men of the Herald had seen enough. They wanted to get off at once, but the captain wanted to investigate further. He managed to inspect a galley, but found no food there. By then his men were on the verge of panic and threatened to mutiny. Taking the schooner's logbook, Captain Warren reluctantly returned to his ship. He watched the Octavius and her cargo of death drift northward out of sight. She would never be seen again. Later, when he retired to his cabin to read the logbook, the captain discovered that all but the first and the last pages were missing. The sailor to whom he had entrusted the book had allowed the rest to fall out. The first page included the information that Octavius had departed England bound for the China trade on September 10th. 1761, 14 years earlier. The last page had but a single entry, 
It was dated November 11th, 1762, and read, We have now been enclosed in ice 17 days. Our approximated position is longitude 160 west, latitude 75 north. The fire went out yesterday, and our master has been trying to rekindle it, but without success. He has handed the steel and flint to the mate. The master's son died this morning, and his wife says she no longer feels the terrible cold. The rest of us have no relief from the agony. Captain Warren's eyes return to the words, Longitude 160 west, latitude 75 north. The meaning was incredible. On the day of the last entry in the logbook, Octavius had been icebound in the Arctic Ocean north of Point Barrow, Alaska, thousands of miles from where Captain Warren had just boarded her. A continent of ice lay between these two points. What Octavius had negotiated was the legendary Northwest Passage. For hundreds of years, sea captains had sought a shorter route between the Atlantic and the Pacific to carry trade between Europe and the Far East. The Northwest Passage was a dream that could eliminate the long voyage around the tip of South America. Apparently, the captain of the Octavius had also decided to try to find the Northwest Passage instead of sailing home to England around South America. He had tried, and like so many before, he had found death instead. But the Octavius had succeeded on her own. Year after year, she had sailed on, her ship's wheel unattended. She had inched eastward through the vast fields of ice, blindly withstanding the fury of the elements, till she finally floated again in the North Atlantic. Not until 1906, 130 years later, did another ship, Jewel, commanded by the Norwegian explorer Ronald Amundsen, navigate the Northwest Passage. But Octavius had been first, carrying a captain and crew who had been frozen for 14 years. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the hope of freedom was kept alive by rebel forces fighting against the evil Galactic Empire. In a daring raid, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's...
As we mentioned before, May is very special in the hearts of Star Wars fans. You have May 25th, which is the anniversary of the original release back in 1977. This year we're celebrating the 38th anniversary. And of course you have May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you and also everything back. And the lesser known Revenge of the Fifth as well. That's, that's a good Old Drinko de Mayo. <laughs> Better known as that. Yes. So in keeping with the spirit of the month, we're playing the top ten Star Wars parodies. Some of these are sketches and some are from TV shows and others are song parodies. As always, the list was compiled by the committee, so you'll have to talk to Brother Bartholomew if you don't like our choices. We're going to have a lot of runners-up, so chances are you'll hear some of your favorites, even if they didn't make the list. So, we're going to start with a runner-up, the Star Wars Cantina. This came out in 1996, and it was written and performed by the unknown at the time, anyway, Jonathan Davis, who later became the great Richard Cheese. This parody never was released on CD uh, because when you hear it, for obvious reasons, uh, no copyright on the uh, stuff he played. So here we go. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Her name was Leia. She was a princess with the Danish on each ear and Darth Vader drawing He'd have to put the Death Star plans into the Rebellion's hands So Luke and Obi-Wan had to get to Alderaan So they stopped into Mos Eisley to have a drink with Han At the Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina The weirdest creatures you've ever seen At the Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina Music and blasters and old Jedi His name was Solo. Han Solo. He was a pilot with a blaster at his side and a smile 12 parsecs wide there with Chewbacca. He was a Wookiee. They met with Luke and Obi-Wan about the Millennium Falcon docking bay 94. Stormtroopers at the door with a flash of Ben's lightsaber. Now there's an arm on the floor at the Star Wars. Star Wars Cantina. You've ever seen a at the Star Wars, Star Wars Cantina. Music and blasters and old Jedi masters at the Star Wars. Pass ice in space, Fortune. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. You must be cautious. His name was Yoda. He was a Muppet. His hand got cut off In that galaxy far, far away Lucas had a lousy day Boba Fett was so mean Jabba had bad hygiene Why didn't they all just relax Back on Tatooine At the Star Wars Star Wars Cantina The weirdest creatures you've ever seen At the Star Wars Star Wars Cantina Will be with you. Always. 
So next up, Chad Vader, Day Shift Manager. So that was started by old Aaron Yonda and Matt Sloan. They're the creators, and Aaron Yonda was Darth Vader, and Matt Sloan voiced Darth Vader. And they, that started on Channel 101. You Rick and Morty fans would be familiar with that. And basically, it's a great parody where Chad Vader is Darth Vader's younger, less successful brother. So in a nutshell, he's going around trying to be menacing like Darth Vader. and At a grocery store, basically. At a grocery store. He's the day shift manager. It just doesn't come quite across as it does in the Star Wars trilogy. A lot of the guys from the Lucas video games liked Matt Sloan's voice so much that he was on a couple, couple of their games. Like uh, he voiced Darth Vader in The Force Unleashed. And he was also Darth Vader in Lego Star Wars and a few other things. So, and it was cool. uh, it was a George Lucas winner in the in the Star Wars awards. So now we have Chad Vader, day shift manager. May I speak with you a moment, my master? It's just. Randy, okay, Chad? Yes, my master. And don't kneel, it's weird. I have grave news. Tammy, I need you to work an extra shift on Saturday. No. Then she walked away. Okay, so? Our plans to make this station fully operational on Saturday may be jeopardized. Look, uh, just get someone to take her shift, okay, Chad? As you wish. Oh, Chad, I heard you're having some problems with Clint. Clint is a fool, and I will not tolerate his insolence much longer. Well, you're going to have to resolve it. I can't have my day manager and my night manager at each other's throats all the time. Yes, Emperor. It's Randy! Randy! I'm not an Emperor. I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. Misinformation Fact 1. If you watch the scene in Return of the Jedi frame by frame, where Leia, played by Carrie Fisher, and Han Solo, played by Harrison Ford, board the stolen Imperial shuttle, and prepare to leave for the forest moon of Endor, you will notice Fisher places her left hand on Ford's shoulder. The fingernail on her index finger appears to be significantly longer than other nails. This was said to be Carrie Fisher's drug nail or coke nail. The official response by Carrie Fisher is, and I quote, I never used my fingernail for drugs. I used dollars and tiny spoons like any other respectable former drug addict. And so now we're getting serious. We're going to the actual number 10 in our top 10 of the Star Wars parodies. And it is George Lucas in Love. This was directed by Joe Nussbaum or Nussbaum. Um, he later went on to do The Naked Mile and The Sleepover. This was a fan film that he used to use as a calling card. He passed it around Hollywood in the summer of 1999. And it kind of got a buzz. And so later on, um, it became kind of popular 
in the underground and later on it went into film festivals and in 2000 he released it as a VHS and on Amazon anyway on the day that it came out it outsold The Phantom Menace <laughs> for one day <laughs> oh and for those who don't know this is a parody both of uh, George Lucas writing Star Wars and uh, Shakespeare in Love it's a combo so here we have it feel it man it's like this giant cosmic force an energy field created by all living things it surrounds us it penetrates Don't us you, i'm trying to write if i don't finish this script in three days i don't graduate you're lost man and you know my mom is coming this weekend so could you clean up the pharmacy So, Lucas, we meet again. Aaron, you live next door. My script is now complete. Soon, I will rule the industry, and you'll still be writing line one of whatever it's called. 3XR-259.7. Next on our list is the Mel Brooks classic, Spaceballs. Where do you think Spaceballs falls in the Mel Brooks spectrum? What do you think of all the films? <laughs> you shouldn't ask me that because it's last in my. <laughs> oh, it's last come of, now. It's last of the ones that I still like. There's plenty <laughs> below that that I don't consider even worth mentioning. But it's the last one I still love, I guess I should say. Well, it's a fun one. And uh, yeah, it's definitely not. It, it will never go down as Mel Brooks' best. But uh, it's not his worst. It's not his worst. <laughs> That's some good moments. And it's our ninth best. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's our ninth best uh, Star Wars parody. It was also in our cult classic la a couple oh, months it ago. Yeah. Uh, it, it, when it went out of the theater, it wasn't really great, greatly uh, received. received. Robert Ebert said, I enjoyed a lot of the movie, but I kept thinking it was revival. Spaceballs should have been made several years ago before Appetite for Star Wars satire had been completely exhausted that's hilarious it's never going to be exhausted yes here we are <laughs> all these years later and george lucas loved it he he gave the green light for it but he said you cannot do any merchandising because it looked too like too much like my stuff so there's no <laughs> the space ball merchandising except in the movie so and then just just so just be, just to spite george lucas we we put the clip in where he's playing with the action figures and that scene was totally it wasn't in the script it was totally improvised <laughs> uh mel brooks just gave him the characters and he said rick he told him rick rouse just go for it and so he, he went for it and that's the gold we have and, and the dolls went for it as well absolutely i'm liking this movie better already <laughs> so rich is vespa at last i have you in my clutches to have my way with you the way I want to. No, no, please leave me alone. No, you are mine. Not so fast, Helmet. Lone Star. Yes, it's me. I'm here to save my girlfriend. Hi, honey. Now you are going to die. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, what'd you do to my friend? The same thing I'm going to do to you, big boy. Oh, oh, and you too. Oh, oh. Now, Princess Vespa, at last we are alone. Oh, no, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, leave me alone. Yet, I find you strangely attractive. Of course you do. Druish princesses are often attracted to money and power, and I have both, and you know it. Oh, leave me alone. No, kiss me. No, 
favorite of mine it is Corey Vidal and he's doing uh, a Star Wars tribute singing acapella all four parts uh, to all of the John Williams songs they're not all Star Wars but all the lyrics are about Star Wars yeah uh, it is the the first time I saw personally the the uh, the yeah, vocal but... stylings of uh, you know all the harmony where they show the four pictures and with people are doing person. it with one person yeah and uh, it's just darn funny and uh, the lyrics are funny, and everything is is uh, is on key, which I funny love. enough it's to make number eight anyway. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great thing, and uh, I, I love it. And his so. vocal range is pretty incredible. He does that deep bass, and he goes pretty high. It's good. All right. So without talking to death, here it is. You must use the. You must use the force. You must use the force. You must use the force. You must use Far away. Kiss a Wookiee, kick a droid, fly the Falcon through an asteroid, till the princess is annoyed. This is spaceships, it's monsters, it's Star Wars, we love it, come and help me, Obi-Wan. X-Wing fighter and the blaster gun, dance with Ewoks, so what fun. This is spaceships, it's monsters, it's Star Wars, we love it. Get in there, you big furry oaf. I couldn't care less what you smell. I take orders from only me. Maybe you'd like it back in yourself, your highness. Your worshipfulness, your highness. Your worshipfulness. No one cares if you upset a droid. Cares if you That's upset because a droids droid. don't tear your arms out of socket. Nobody cares. I suggest a new strategy. Let the Wookiee win. That's because nobody cares if you upset a droid. I was gonna go to Tashi. Station for power converters. Now I guess I'm going nowhere. It just isn't fair. Wookie. Someone move this walking 
walking carpet. Someone do this walking carpet. Kiss your brother, kiss your brother, kiss your sister, kiss your brother. Well, I guess you don't know anything about women. Kiss your brother, kiss your brother, kiss your brother. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? I'm your father. It is useless to resist. Come with me, my son. We will rule. Search your feelings. It is true. So you have a twin sister who Obi Wan was wise to hide. If you will not turn, then perhaps she will give in to your hate. You are mine. Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia, they're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate, to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars early bird certificate package, new from Kenner. In a galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. How are we going to find them? We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We help you. Now, a great adventure begins. It's an action-packed motion picture featuring incredible special effects from the award-winning team of Industrial Light and Magic. That's Mommy and Daddy. Sometimes when you search for the impossible, an unbelievable adventure unfolds. I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Don't miss the Ewok Adventure. Now on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. Is that a small moon? No, it's a space station. Caught in the Death Star. No escape from this tractor beam. Oh, be close your eyes. Be one with the force and see.
Yes, with another runner-up, and this one is the Death Star 911. And I, I don't know where I was when the Death Star blew up. I, I think I was sitting in a seat at the Ventura Theater. I, I was in the womb, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit shorter. The, the beautiful thing about this, it's it's Star Wars 911, and uh, you don't think that uh, something could be funny like 911, but it 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 becomes very humorous uh, when stormtroopers tell us where they were. When the Death Star blew up. I don't know. I just feel like we all have really great aim until the second we put on these helmets. I concur. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't want to be a downer, but you guys do know what tomorrow is. What's tomorrow? Anniversary of the Death Star. The Death Star? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's been a year already. Yeah. Man, it's such a huge thing, and all it took was a couple X-Wings to take it down. Yeah. You guys remember where you were when it happened? Yeah, I remember I was in Coruscant training, waiting to hear some friends made it out, and... Of course they didn't because, uh, well... It blew up and evaporated. Yeah, like a big, colorful firecracker. No one was getting out of there. You guys know I was, uh... I was actually on my way to the Death Star that morning. Yeah, get out no. of here. No. Forgot to set my alarm. Got caught in space traffic. If it hadn't been for that space traffic... Well, I don't you can't know, think I don't about know. that. You can't think about that or you're going to drive yourself I'd crazy. I'd be dead. I'd be dead. I guess I'd be dead. Yeah, it's just so eerie. Hey, you look at that part of the galaxy where the Death Star used to be, and it's just... Nothing. Yeah. Still waiting on that memorial. Yeah. Right now it's just a, uh, a space, space garden. garden. Oh, the space garden. Yeah. I hear they're gonna build a new one, though. It's gonna be almost as big. Yeah. Eight How times as big. Eight times as big. Yeah. Haven't we learned anything? Look, I mean, if you don't rebuild, the Jedi's win. Jedi's. I'll tell you something. They hate our way of life. Now, just because someone believes in the Force doesn't mean they're gonna go blow up a space station. All right? Yeah, maybe. Listen, we have all of this technology. Right? We can't find Luke Skywalker. One guy. One guy. Got a point. Hiding out in a cave somewhere in Dagobah. You know, honestly, I just think Palpatine knew all along. And he let it happen just to justify going to Hoth. Oh, here know. we go. No, no, I'm serious. What? Darth Vader happens to be in a TIE fighter when the whole thing goes down, please. Come yeah. on. All right, all right. Now, here we go. I read the engineering. Okay? There was no way one X-Wing could have taken this thing out. Okay. No way. Had to be a controlled demolition. Connor, nobody wants to hear this. You're crap. blind. You are blind, sir. You're blind. Whatever. You're all a bunch of drones. Hey, keep your voice down. Your drones, especially the drones. Cool it. Here, have a drink. You guys want another round? Nah, no, we're fine. You want another round? Yeah, you yeah, know what? Sure. Actually, you can uh, keep coming. I think that'd be great. To the Death Star. Death Star. Death Star. All right. Next runner-up. Samuel L. Vader. I don't think I have to say anything else. Just listen. This is a tasty bonus. Darth Vader, only you can be so bold. 
The Imperial Senate will not steal for this. When they hear you've attacked But why don't we leapfrog all that bullshit? Save ourselves a lot of aggravation and time, of which there's close to zero. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to uh, 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 don't give me attitude. Get the f*** out of my face with that Attention, be on the lookout for Star Wars misinformation. I felt a great disturbance in the Force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. Misinformation fact number two. Some Star Wars fans swear there was a Boba Fett action figure that came with a jetpack that fired toy rockets. When American toy company Kenner Products advertised their second series of Star Wars action figures in 1979, a Boba Fett action figure complete with rocket firing backpack was included. Alas, no such thing ever occurred. Several prototypes were made but a similar missile firing feature in Battlestar Galactica toys was identified as a choking hazard around the same time. This led to a product recall by manufacturers Mattel and Kenner's last minute decision to alter the Boba Fett action figures and shatter thousands of childhood dreams. And we're back with the top 10. We're at number seven. Yeah, this is Kevin Spacey. It was a Saturday Night Live bit in 1997. It was all based on uh, that Christopher Walken actually did try out for the Han Solo part. And so they sort of ran with that, and he did his impressions. We also have um, Anna uh, Gastar. Gastar doing the Barbara Streisand. So here we go with number seven. Han Solo screen test. Okay, Chris, whenever you're ready. I'm captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed, if it's a fast ship. <laughs> fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon. It's the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. She's fast enough for you, old man. Jack Lemon, Chewbacca screen test. Pick one. Okay, excuse me, before we put the spaghetti in the machine, can someone tell me what the hell one of these Chewbacca things is? Well, he's a Wookiee, Jack. A what? A what the hell is a Wookiee? Um, it's like a space ape. Oh, that's terrific. You had me drive all the way from Beverly Hills to play a f***ing space ape? Uh, just, just put the mask on. I'm gonna take a dump in this damn mask. Jack, what I'm please do. put it on. Why can't I audition for Obi-Wan? You got math out screen testing. I'd be a terrific Obi-Wan. Could Obi -Wan. You please put the mask on? Ah, f***ing <laughs> Um, all right, Barbara Streisand, Princess Leia screen test. Okay, whenever you're ready, Barbara. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Barbara, you don't want to take that way down. Smaller? Yeah. I can do that. Okay, whenever you're ready. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Okay, thanks. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll kiss three bucks goodbye. And that's our number six, Hardware Wars. 
That was written and directed by Ernie Fossilis and produced by Michael Weiss. And they actually got the voice of Paul Fries to do. That was the their endowment. major budget. That was a that was a coup, and uh, he it, actually did the voice on the original Star Wars previews. It was uh, one of George Lucas's favorite of all the parodies. Won a lot of film festivals, and it grows somewhere between uh, five hundred thousand and a million, and it only costs eight thousand. So it's one of the highest grossing films in history, and it's only fifteen minutes long. The guy who played uh, Luke Starblocker, or whatever the heck he is, that's Scott Matthews. He went on to produce Elvis Costello and Roy Orbison and Jerry Garcia. He was oh. a big wig in the music business. And um, he also performed with uh, Nielsen and Ringo Starr and all that. And um, George Lucas uh, had the director. Uh, he was such a big fan of him that he had the, the, that director. He played the Rancor... Uh, keeper crying in Return of oh, the Jedi. Right? <laughs> so when you see the guy crying or whatever, uh, it's actually his voice. So I have the director as an action figure. That's excellent. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or at least his Topless voice. of all things. So let's just hear it. This is Hardware Wars, the mother of them all. Light years ahead of its time. Starring Fluke Starbucker, intergalactic boy wonder. Augie Ben Doggy, venerable member of the Red Eye Knights. Princess Android, interstellar damsel in distress. Ham Salad, ace mercenary pilot and intergalactic wise guy. Darth Nader. See incredible celestial battles ablaze with death-dealing weaponry. Enjoy mirth-filled moments with the amusing antics of Space Drones 4Q2 and Artie Deco. Artie Deco, where are you? At last, where have you been? Secret mission? What plan? What are you talking about? This is madness. Wait a minute. Now we're up to number five, and it's the saga begins. There was some debate whether this one should make it on, but uh, it did make it on. This is Weird Al's uh, parody of the... Um, Phantom Menace. And he, American Pie. And American Pie. Mashup. He was trying to write this before he could even see anything, any trailer or any uh, early showing of the film. So he based the song lyrics on spoiler sites that he found on the internet. And finally he was able to pay his way into a charity early showing of the movie. And when he got it, the spoiler sites were so good that he only had to change a few things. <laughs> and he was already done. <laughs> Genius. And so... Here's the saga begins. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack. And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation into maybe cutting them a little slack. 
Their response, it didn't thrill us. They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that gas. The Met Jar Jar and Boss Nass. We took a bongo from the scene and we went to feed to see the queen. We all wound up on tattooing. That's where we found this boy. Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later, now he's just a small fry. He left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Did you know this junkyard slave isn't even old enough to shave But he can use the force they say like to stay we all fought in that epic war and it wasn't long at all before little hotshot flew his plane and saved the day and in the end some gungans died some ships blew up and some pilots fried a lot of folks were croaking the battle droids were broken and the Jedi I admire 
met up with Darth Maul and now he's toast. Well, I'm still here and he's a ghost. I guess I'll train this boy. And I was singing, my, my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later, now he's just a small fry. And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye, saying, soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. We were singing, my, my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later, now he's just a small fry. And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye. Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Have you seen Star Wars? Remember that scene when Luke Skywalker lassos that thing and the princess kisses him and they swing off together? Oh, okay. The real reason I'm here is to tell you Magic Market's got Star Wars cups with all the star's pictures on them. To get one, just buy a Snowbiz made with Coca-Cola for 49 cents. Mm. Oh, boy, that tastes good. Oh, hey, yeah. Do you remember the fight with the laser swords when Darth Vader meets Obi-Wan Kenobi? This adventure is brought to you with the compliments of Dairy Lee, Britain's favorite cheese spread. And if you enjoy this adventure, remember there are six other Droid and Ewok videos available from CBS Fox. Direct from the Star Wars legend come two series of adventures with some of the most colorful characters in the cosmos. The Star Wars droids and the Ewoks. A collection of full-length, fully animated videos. Pirate fighters are coming in. Structure shields up. Quick! Transport us to a galaxy far, far away. Where C-3PO <laughs> and the incomparable R2-D2 are back in their usual trouble. R2-D2, you're going the wrong way. Wait for me. Trouble with monsters, with spaceships, and even an imperial star destroyer, the Empire. Meanwhile, on the forest moon of Endor, Wicket and other furry Ewoks become involved in adventures that will delight children everywhere. So fly to high adventure. Ewoks. With the Ewoks. animated videos from the Star Wars legend, the Ewoks, the Star Wars droids. Let the adventures continue.
And we're back. Yes, and it's our next runner-up. And this is the Richard Pryor Star Wars Bar. This was on the Richard Pryor Show in 1977. And they used a lot of the original costumes from the movie. It was only one of four episodes because they canceled the show, unfortunately. It was a little controversial, and also it went up against Happy Days at 8 o'clock. So, enjoy. Remember Hank Al? He hit 714. This is the ball he hit him with. Yeah, I know Garbeck hit 4,000, but he had a laser bat. <laughs> this man hit him with a piece of wood. And what the hell do you know about it? Your brain's about to fall out your head. <laughs> Hold it. Yeah, Starbuck. It must be for you, said the ugliest. <laughs> yeah, your wife wants you to come home. <laughs> he said, with the water, water, with the water, water, with the water. <laughs> okay. She said, water, go to water, get it, water, get it, water, get it. <laughs> A double? You got it. Here's the next runner-up. And that is Fanboys. Uh, Fanboys. Such a great movie. Fanboys was a movie made, uh, I don't know if it was made with Lucas or in spite I, of Lucas. I do. I think it was despite but of It was <laughs> made for Fanboys by Fanboys. Yes. And uh, it's the story of a of a, uh, a, a group of guys that are that love Star Wars, and one of them is, finds out he's dying, and they... they he just, won't make it to see the Phantom Menace. So they decide to break into Lucas Ranch and steal... A copy of the Phantom Menace so their their friend can see it. And that's all we're gonna tell you. It's a great movie, and the last line's my favorite. So, but here's a clip. Guys, we can't, we can't, we can't do this now. We can't give up now. Not when we're so close. Linus, it's just a movie. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. You know what? To most people, Star Wars is just a movie, right? Not to us. We just spoke to the doctor. Well, screw that doctor. Screw, screw all those people. Did, did they ever, ever get their, their heads stuck in a bucket trying to be Darth Vader? I, I mean, I don't think so. No. No. <laughs> did, did they ever singe their eyebrows trying to make a lightsaber? No way. Did they name their right hand Leia? Who knows? Yes, they could have. But you know who did? Me. Yes, you did. So did I. So did you. We all did. You guys are freaking sick, you know that? This is our Death Star, man. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not running away from this one. <laughs> Me neither. Screw it, I named both my hands. <laughs> Attention, be on the lookout for Star Wars misinformation. Great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. Misinformation fact number three. 
The Wampa scene at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back was created as a result of a car accident. In January 1977, Mark Hamill was involved in a fairly serious car accident while driving his BMW on a deserted freeway. There's since been a good degree of speculation that the Empire Strikes Back's opening scene in which Luke is attacked by the Yeti-like Wampa was written into the film to explain Hamill's change in appearance due to reconstructive surgery. Vaguely plausible and impossible to discount entirely, but it doesn't quite hold up. George Lucas has denied the validity of this story, and the changes in Hamill's face appear to have more to do with aging than anything else. The fact that there's a close-up of his face before the Wampa attack even occurs is perhaps the most compelling evidence against the Star Wars urban legend that refuses to die. Number four, of course, is the Family Guy's version of Star Wars. This is tough. It could have been higher, but uh, we, at least it's number four there. It, it's very good. Lucas had... Uh, Seth MacFarlane wanted to have Lucas's blessing, and he gave it to them. He kind of said, you know, I really want it to look like Star Wars, and, and he he laughed with it. He he liked what they did. And it looks like they like traced over some of those scenes. Yes. Yeah, they're really tight, right it's on It's drawn it. very good. They have the original music. They always, on the audio commentary, they talk about how hard sometimes it is. They want to get the music just right, and but sometimes they have to clip the scene for time, so that's a very yeah. tricky, tricky thing. It, it's I don't even like the Family Guy, and I love the Family Guy Star Wars. So right. here it is, our number four. Any attack made by the Rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. That is fantastic. Terrific work. So no weaknesses at all, huh? No. No. You, uh, you hesitated there. Is it something I should know? No, it's virtually indestructible, like 99.99%. Uh, okay. Wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask what's the .01. Well, I, I mean, there's this little hole. It was kind of an aesthetic choice by the architect. And if you shoot a laser into this hole, uh, the station blows up. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a pretty big design flaw there. No, no, no. The hole's only two meters across. Well, that's no bigger than a womp rat. Exactly. And even to get within range of it, you have to skim along this whole trench. It's not a big deal. Well, I mean, can't we board it up or, you know, put some plywood over it or something? Well, that would look terrible. I mean, we got to think about resale. Resale? What are you talking about? This property is right above sunset. The value's only going to go up. Lord Vader, your inside references to the Los Angeles real estate market haven't given you the clairvoyance to turn a profit on that condo in Glendale, nor has it... I find your lack of faith disturbing. That property is in a prime location, 20 minutes to the beach, 20 minutes to downtown. There's nothing to do downtown. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <sighs> All right, so we're going to plug up that hole? Yeah, we can get it done tomorrow if price is no object. We'll get estimates. Get estimates, yeah. <laughs> and now we come to the magic number three. And that number three is Troops. This has a special place in my heart because my friend Kevin Rubio made it. Uh, I knew him back in college. I built the sets for his uh, little claymation Frankenstein thing. I knew he was going places even then. He shot it in the La Mirage Dry Lake. And as everyone knows, it's a parody of cops in Star Wars. It's, it's one of the smartest ones. 
Um, it, it duetted at Comic-Con on July 18th, 1997. He's gone on to do things in comic books and film, and uh, it's very funny. So here we go. Number three, Troops. Troops is filmed on location with the men of the Imperial Forces. All suspects are guilty, period. Otherwise, they wouldn't be suspect, would they? I joined the Empire about six years ago. I can remember as a kid, you know, watching the holographic images and being excited about the new direction that the uh, galaxy was taking. So when I was old enough, I uh, went down to the local recruitment center, you know, and signed up. And I've been here at uh, Tatooine ever since. Most people would call this the ass end of space, but I like the small town feeling you get around here. I mean, we know everybody. Everybody. And I feel I can really make a difference here. We got a uh, routine stop here. We have a report of some stolen droids, and uh, we think these might be it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, you want to come over here, please? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Uh, whose droid is this? Uh-huh, it's your cousin's. Is this your cousin? Is this your cousin? Are you his cousin? No? Okay, then who are you? Ah, oh, you're his friend. Well, Mr. Friend, would you uh, step over there for a moment, please? Okay, so the uh, droid belongs to your cousin. Now, if I go over to that sand crawler over there and ask to see your cousin, is he going to have a bill of sale for this? Okay, well, what I'm going to do now, sir, is place you under imperial arrest so we can only help... Hey, am I talking to you? Am I talking to you? Then stay over there and shut your mouth. Now, if you move again, I'm uh, going to shoot you. No. Yeah, I understand. I got a wife and kids, too, but you don't see me out here stealing Imperial droids, now, do you? Yeah, sure, you'll never do it again. He's making a run for it! Next up, number two, Triumph the Insult Dog. That is such a good bit. I, I cry when I see that darn thing. Even though, if I was one of those people, I'd strangle that bastard with his hand up the dog's ass there. For, 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 for those of you that don't know, it's a Conan O'Brien sketch where a comedian takes a very bad fake dog puppet and interviews people. And all you can see is, is the puppet and his arm and like a microphone and... Uh, they go around interviewing people, and the one that's uh, the best by far is he. they interview for people in line to go see Attack of the Clones. They're waiting in line, and uh, and Triumph just insults them all about what huge nerds they are, and I think, boy, it's, I he's think merciless. It pretty much speaks for itself. And so yes, here it is our number two. Unbelievable. Look, among the nerds, I found an actual girl here. Look at this. Not... Not too shabby around here, huh, honey? The male-female ratio, yeah? I mean, you've got your 
veritable pick of the litter. You can choose from all of all kinds of guys who have no idea how to please you. <laughs> she said pretty much, yeah. Who's going to stand up to this challenge? I will. Here he is. Yeah, you're going to stand up to this? Yeah, right, and I'm stooping lassie. is a little far-fetched. What do you guys think? Of course not. And we're not allowed to talk about spoilers here. Uh, I've got some spoilers. Who wants to hear a spoiler? Yeah, Here's a spoiler. You will die alone. <laughs> this is a Darth Vader impersonation from The Empire Strikes Back. Keep it. You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Captain Piet. Yes, my lord. <laughs> Make ready the fleet and deploy it out so that nothing gets off the system. That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. exactly like it, but, but you're, you're not breathing heavily? No. Imagine you've just run 10 feet and you're out of space. <laughs> Very exciting. Darth Vader himself is here. All the other nerds tremble in his presence. What are you supposed to be? I am triumph! Oh, scary nerd! This would be my chest box that helps me to breathe. So this is to help you breathe, yes? Yes. And which of these... <laughs> which of these buttons calls your parents to pick you up? children loved it. Now the Earthlings at Kenner have asked my associate and me to present the Star Wars collection. Truly remarkable toys and games for your children. What are you so excited about now? My goodness, the Star Wars TIE Fighter and X-Wing Fighter. Now your children can relive our great space battles or collect our wonderful Star Wars companions with Kenner's Star Wars action figures. Artu, it's a little new. Kenner's new radio-controlled R2-D2 anyone can command. Ah, the Star Wars landscaper that moves like it's floating. And here's Kenner's Death Star space station, four floors of action, a trash compactor too. Listen, R2, that's the Star Wars electronic laser battle, a game of speed, reflex, and reaction. These and other toys and games in Kenner's Star Wars collection are sold separately. Batteries are not included. May the Force be with you and your children. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. No caution, no caution. 
It's an epic of heroes. Star Wars, a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. exciting now we're getting close to you the pinnacle the pinnacle of our countdown but first we have another runner-up and this is the star wars uh bill murray um it's his character nick the lounge singer this was done on january 28th way back in 1978 that character usually has a seasonal name at the end and this was no exception he was nick winter and as usual he was accompanied by paul schaefer this was the 10th episode of the season and the 56th episode of the whole darn uh, Saturday Night Live thing. And I think this was at a funeral home. Don't know. We can't see it. We only have audio. And here it is, Bill Murray with the Star Wars song. Ah, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. Don't let them in. How about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask, did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah! Star Wars! Those near in Star Wars! My seventh winner up here! Star Wars! Uh, now we have the next and final runner-up. Also from Conan O'Brien. It was that series of little films that they did when they were deciding how other directors would make uh, the Star Wars. And this was Michael Moore's, um, how he would do it. And so here we go. Michael Moore making the latest Star Wars film. Every director in Hollywood is going to want a shot at directing 
the new Star Wars movie. Some very famous directors who really want to do it have already made audition tapes. Even Michael Moore <laughs> made a Star Wars tape. Check it out. So you're gonna yeah, have to, I need to talk to your boss, please. Uh, yeah, sir, just take, take the camera. Are you aware that Darth Vader has uh, destroyed thousands of jobs on my home planet of Flintooine? And I want answers. I'm sorry, sir, Mr. Vader is vacationing uh, with his family on the planet Endor. Are you aware that Darth Vader has illicit dealings with Jabba the Hutt? Let, let's get, let's That's get That's a known criminal. Let's get Gus down here. Do you like working for Darth Vader? Yeah, yeah, you know, he's easy. I, I don't see him much. What's going on here? Yes, I'm uh, here on behalf of millions of droids who have lost their pension. I need to talk to your boss, Darth Vader. Turn this okay? camera off. Off, turn it off right now, please. Oh, no. This is a picture of an abandoned lightsaber factory. Thousands of people have lost their jobs. Don't you have a heart? Don't you, don't you care about people? Don't you? Mr. Vader! Mr. Vader, I have a few questions for you, please. Mr. Doug Vader, I have a question for... <laughs> Number one. Frank, All right. what the hell is an aluminum falcon? <laughs> We're about to find out, because we've reached the pinnacle. This is supposedly... The number one Our Star favorites. Wars parody. Well, Brother Bartholomew's anyway. Yes. And so we have it. What is it? Robot chickens, Star yeah, Wars. Yes, and I there's so many bits in that, uh, and I think they made three just like they did there for the Family three, Guy. Yes, yes, all of them good, all of them funny. Uh, None of them taper off, unlike the Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of their uh, charm, as we say. There's so much we can say about this man. There's just so many great voices. Do you know? Uh, do you know who did Darth Vader, for example? I don't know who. It's did. old Kubiak from Parker Lewis, the the big. Uh, if you remember that. <laughs> I do. He was on ER and married with children, and also they have uh, they have parodies within parodies, so they co combine a lot of parody with the with the you know with the actual Star Wars parody. They have that wonderful uh, I don't know if it's a parody within a parody, but when they do the Empire on Ice, because I saw Ice Capaz yeah. and Disney on Ice, <laughs> and that is exactly it's the crazy. kind of thing that would happen. <laughs> exactly. The other fun great thing they do is they kind of pick the. Everyday mundane thing that you wouldn't think of, you know, where the, where's the emperor eating lunch, paperwork, you know, where they use the toilet, that kind of thing. And that brings us to the clip we have for number one. Where was the emperor during the Death Star destruction? And here we go, number one. <laughs> so I threw the Senate at him. <laughs> the whole Senate. True story. Oh my God, that is so funny. You made it come out of my nose. <laughs> Papa Palpatine, you have a collect call from Darth Vader. Oh, I, I gotta take this. Hold on, Vader. How's my favorite Sith? Whoa, 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 whoa! Just slow down, huh? What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? Oh, well, who's they? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Okay, okay, so, so who's left? Are you me? Well, where are you? Wait a sec, you've been flying around for two weeks trying to get a signal? Oh, you must smell like feet wrapped in leathery burnt bacon. Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought my Dark Lord of the Sith could protect a small thermal exhaust port that's only two meters wide. That thing wasn't even fully paid off yet. Do you have, do you have any idea what this is going to do to my credit? Oh, hang on, I got another call. What? I'm very busy right now. Oh, oh, well, well where are they going? Oh, all right, um, get me a turkey club. Uh, coleslaw, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to eat it. What, 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 what are you getting? Yeah, see, I, I always order the wrong thing. No, 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 I'll just stick with that. Okay, bye. Wait, what? Oh, uh, cherry coke. Thanks. Sorry about that. What? Oh, oh, just rebuild it? Oh, that, a real, real fucking original. And who's gonna give me a loan, jackhole? You? You got an ATM on that torso light bright? Now get your seven-foot-two asthmatic ass back here, or I'm gonna tell everyone what a whiny bitch you were about Potamame or Panda Bear or whatever the hell her name is. Oh, jeez, he's crying. <laughs> hey, 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 come on, come on, don't do that. Just, just, uh, look, I, you know, I'm just dealing with a lot of crap right now. Death Star blown up by a bunch of teenagers, you know, I didn't mean to snap. I'll, I'll, I'll ju just get back here. Okay, okay, bye. I, yeah, I, I love you too. Well, so there you have it. The top ten Star Wars parodies. Pretty good to listen to my book, but I could see where there's some controversy. If you got any comments, put them on our Facebook page. Uh, they'll stay there pretty much forever. We're not open-minded. We're just too lazy to take them off. So, Insult uh, us. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. And we got one more for you. One more runner-up. Little bonus. And that's Hands Your Man from the Star Wars musical that never was. Uh, it, this is the song that was going to be Han Solo's signature song. George Lucas contacted Charles Strauss, the composer of Bye Bye Birdie and Annie, and the lyricist Lee Adams, and he did uh, the Superman musical, and he also did Bye Bye Birdie. And you'd think, how can that go wrong? How yeah. can that go wrong? Well, uh they didn't want to sign it because George Lucas wanted to had a clause that if he didn't like it, he was going to pull out. And uh, but he gave him a ten thousand dollar bonus signing bonus, and so they loved it, and they signed up. They wrote five songs. He, I don't know if he heard them or not, uh, but he pulled out. Uh, you'll have to be the judge. Here's as we go out of our wonderful top ten. Here's Hands Your Man. <laughs> your money off we blast Hans your man you got a shipment I don't care if it's hot give me the contract and it's there on the dot no rocket jockey rips the clouds like I can Hans your man I remember one time I was flying that storm freighter over there just creeping through the northern sea. All of a sudden, there's three Imperial cruisers coming out of nowhere, all firing at once. So what did I do to stay alive? I kicked that freighter into Mega Drive. I did a figure eight with a downward twist, and sure enough, those Imperial suckers missed. Then I slowed her down to the speed of sound. Like I planned, they swung around. And zap, they shot each other out of the sky. Hey, can 
I fly or can I fly? Good answer. You've got a dirty job to do. Hans, you're a man who's handy with a blaster, too. You're looking at him. And while we're on the subject, I never panic when the fighting gets rough. I saw some big stormtroopers, lots of cute stuff. So if a little knuckle party's your plan, on your... Here's a neat step. Watch this. I know it's hard to follow. I'm a pretty good dancer. Say, honey, if you want to play Hans, your man, except no substitute. Let's spend the weekend far away Hans, your man. I know a lovely little meteorite who wants to sleep. There's three full moons every night. And on the beach we'll rest and get a great tan. By Monday morning you'll be my biggest fan. You won't forget that you had fun with Hans. Well, we're out of time yet again. Pretty good podcast, I'd say. Anyway, we hope you'll join us next month for another exciting podcast, number nine. Uh Uh-oh, but we still have a few more items on the business. First of all, uh, you got $20 you owe me, Frank. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jimmy Sweets. Happy birthday to you. Frank has just brought out a delicious cake that he baked himself. Yes, this month is, with with a little help from Vons, it's Jimmy Sweet's birthday this month. And so we're going to celebrate right here with a little bit of chocolate cake and a couple of root beers and my lousy uh, sugar-free lemonade nonsense. And some booze. So here, boys, let's toast to Jimmy Sweet's. Ah. Crack them open. Cheers. 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 Here's to another eight more podcasts and another eight more years of Jimmy Sweet's sweet life. Beautiful. And then after that, all bets are off. Uh, But we have one more thing. As we fade out, we thought we'd uh, have a little nod to our mothers since this month is also Mother's Day. And who best to represent mothers throughout the globe but the baddest mother of them all, Shaft. So here's the theme from Shaft played by the European Ukulele Orchestra. Chicks. Shaft. 
Yeah, you're damn right. That's what it says on my folk song transcription, anyway. Who is the man who would risk his neck for his brother man? Yeah. Can you dig it? collector who collected all the folk songs. Sure. Yes, that's <laughs> Who is the man who wore plus fours in the Appalachian Mountains? Sharp. Sharp, yes. Check this out. What's the most important thing about a coal mine, apart from coal? Sharp. No, no, no. It's the Davy safety lamp. Completely different piece of Appalachian. Tim, tiny Tim. 